What a great song. I actually downloaded that song on Spotify after I listened to it. I'm not even joking. I listened to it like four times today. The original version or the Ryder Chips cover? Definitely the original version. I tried to get into the Ryder Chips cover. Not exactly my bag, but man. Such a good song. Great. Yeah, uh, it's what happens when, like, you're part owned or, like, part affiliated with, like, a major, like, record label. There's just, like, tons of people working on, like, your shows and movies. Like, they all have, like, pretty solid, like, songs for their movies most of the time, I feel like. Yeah. I am. The only reason I'm not surprised by that is because you had told me at another point that one of the people that was a actor on that show had actually written a lot of the music so i was like well this stands to reason yeah um a couple of um the shows in our bracket actually have like a lot of people on the soundtrack that like are like in the main cast as well which is like cool to think of honestly definitely yeah um and the song we are talking about is um flashback by rin and mcat and then there is a cover uh, that like also uh showed steph from writer chips and uh that's a little more hardcore it's much more of just like a loud <laughs> let's rock out version but still. yeah you you have to almost be kind of a um like a hard rock or an almost metal fan to like that one as much i i like the original version more because i like the I'm not even going to say calm because that song still isn't that calm, but calmer, like in perspective than the remix. <laughs> there's like four kinds of writer bands, if that makes sense. Um, there's like if they get like somebody to do their theme song and then like that person might come back for like certain movies or like special things and like they're kind of like the voice of that show. Um. Then there's Rider Chips, which is like done that kind of stuff for a lot of shows. Then there's Rider Girls, which is just like an idol group where they like get like vaguely Rider themed costumes and like dance in the middle of like weird warehouses with chains and like punch like monsters and be like mm-hmm. just singing, which awesome. Yeah. And then there's like they'll make custom bands for shows. So like there's like three bands for like Kamen Rider, like Kiva, where it's just like random collections of like artists and like members of the cast for like certain songs. Like Tetra Fang is like a band they make for that. Yeah. And the only reason I'm speaking with any kind of experience on, on this is because listening to that song and kind of going on Spotify and trying to find it for myself, 
I saw just how many like playlists and like <laughs> devotional yeah. kind of archives there are just on Spotify. I didn't even look anywhere else because I'm subscribed to Spotify. So if I'm paying for it, I'm using it. But just the amount of like fan um, compilations that can come forth in shows like this, it was just mind blowing. So I encourage anyone who has watched this show and like kind of resonated with any of the music, just get on any of your respective music platforms and do a search for your common writer, whatever, and I can guarantee you will find many fan playlists that, you know, can fit your mood to anything that you're watching or doing at the time. It's very interesting to see how people interpret different things. I posted a picture of one incarnation of the oh band up there goodness. on Discord. Yeah. That is an experience. Or, ooh, okay. This might also help you. Uh, this might help your research death. Uh, this is important information. Oh my, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it, but what is happening? They're in theme costumes. Oh, um, sure. Uh, you know, for when they got to kick butt. Yeah, I mean, I... Um, the picture that I posted is the writer girls, uh, when they're in, like, the best way to put it is, like, not wrestling gear, but kind of. It's like a lot of mesh cutouts, though. So it's like, here's my whole leg and stuff. Just very uh, provocative, I guess, the way to put it. It's it's kind of bizarre if you have watched any of the common writers because you're just like, OK, you match the color kind <laughs> of. But I mean, that's literally all you've done. And then you've put on some high heels and some tights and been like, OK, well, now I'm a writer. Come on, like there are so many ways you could take that costume and make it more sexually appealing without having to like does that help? What is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first picture they're all kind of Jesus. like dressed in like vaguely like made butler outfits with their like rider belts. The second they're kind of like pro wrestlers have like slightly more like provocative. The third one they're all like pompadour midriff like what kind of chic would you call that stuff i'm gonna do my best and try to like break this down in lesbian terms as well as i can so our very first picture is very much kind of oriented toward the male gaze because it has the um writers in their costumes but it has all these girls in kind of like these made outfits that vaguely resemble the common rider outfits and okay great because well, there's Second like kiva picture. girl there's wizard girl there's like i appreciate um, that they're wearing the belts at least yeah i mean they're wearing the belts and i'm gonna steal one of those belts um but the second picture they are imitating the riders and their colors but everything is cut out in all the best places that you would want to look at a girl plus she's wearing high heels and you can't kick a monster's ass in high heels i'm sorry no matter how talented you are that just isn't a thing third one is a uh butch lesbian's dream because they are all in leather 
with like vaguely uh, matching accessories to the rider's colors, but they're all wearing like that very butch bouffant hair and like way, way in the background, you see like visions of the riders, but they really aren't that well defined. So it's a, it's a lot, but it's also like choosing your preference. Like you, you decide what you want to be in this world. Yeah, um, I appreciate them when they're doing stuff like they do music videos and like they're your typical like over much like idol stuff. And there's like one that was like this pro wrestler was like experimenting to give the rider powers. And then like a bunch of monsters from the 70s showed up and they had to like fight with this like pro wrestler to like fight these monsters. And then like a common rider showed up and like they all gave like thumbs up and I was like, oh. This is so dumb. <laughs> this is great. It sounds dumb as shit, but it also sounds like something I'd enjoy the hell out of. So I, I you know, did you ever see that picture of um, Jane Lynch when she was like making fun of the Sports Illustrated cover? No, I haven't. OK, so it's it's a, I guess fairly popular meme, but she's talking about like something to do with Sports Illustrated cover. And she says, as a feminist, I'm outraged, but as a lesbian, I'm delighted. And I feel like I feel that way with way too many things. So I'm not quite sure where I fit in. But every time you show me one of these pictures, I'm, I go back to that same meme. I'm like, oh, you know, I should be very upset by this, but damn. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, like. This is definitely like one of those things that like I would never uh, be like, hey, want to check out this one weird part of the marketing for these shows? <laughs> First thing for this. Uh, but here's the uh, the wrestler that I mentioned, um, Hiroshi Good Tanahashi. God. He is uh, the ace. He is this like in his 40s now, but still wrestling, just like super chiseled, super long hair, like super good guy. Um <laughs> And he loves Kamen Rider so much. It's great. So did he do any of the writers or is he just like a super fan? What do you mean by do? I mean, like, was he one of the writers? Like, does he have a series or anything? Or is he just somebody that was like, okay, this is somebody famous and he really enjoys the series. So we're going to kind of like plug him in here and there. He's definitely like a B or C list celebrity in Japan as far as like being one of the most popular like wrestlers. Um, he's been in a bunch of their movies and like their music videos. He like played like an ancestor to like Garo one time in Garo. He's been a villain in like I'm writer two or three times. It feels like by now. What else do you want? Really? No, I get that. I mean, and I feel like even in Western culture, there's a lot of that just you know, people that don't really have any association with what they're plugging, but, you know, they're super fans, so we're going to give them a chance to shine. That's him on the set of one of the movies he was on. Oh, my. Yeah, he's a super fan. Um, like, to the point where he had a, like, rival, um, Shinsuke Nakamura, who's now in WWE, uh, but uh, was, like, the shit back in the day. Uh before that but uh just uh <laughs> he um 
what Tanahashi tried to do for years was like add like a rider kick to his arsenal, and then his rival just like did it one day during one of their matches, like to piss wow. him off. Yeah. I mean, I can understand like from his perspective why that would be so freaking insulting, but as someone who would be a fan of that, I would be like, that was badass. <laughs> I mean, if you ever want to like look at New Japan, that's Toku. They're live action. They can do it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I forget what I was going to say at like a certain point, but uh, we should talk about our bracket because uh, we got on the Tanachi train. And now we can't get off, I don't think. True, yes. Slightly off track, but we are here to talk about um, Comrade Hibiki and the Seven Senki, or Comrade the movie, Hibiki and the Seven Senki. But first, we have our bracket. We had 22 shows, and now we're down to uh, nine shows. Now, nine, you might ask, how'd we do that? Well, magic. You said four shows, then I said four shows, then I counted all the shows we said, and we said nine shows. So, uh, there are nine shows we have to pick from for our uh, fall series. This is the quarterfinals. We're going down from nine to four, and um, how that's going to work is that um, Steph's going to pick two, then I'm going to pick one, and then we're going to talk through our last pick for that fourth slot. Should I announce these stuff or? Yeah, go for it. Um, because I have my couple in mind, but yeah, I am waiting for the big reveal. Kamen Rider Kiva is a 2008 show uh, that is horror themed and has to do with themes. It has a main character who's dealing with like severe social anxiety and it's like a little different from what you might expect from a protagonist from a like show like this there is ultra q the 1965 show before ultraman that is more of a twilight zone slash outer limits um where like each or most episode is a like one-off but it is using like those kind of effects there's power rangers rpm which is a uh Terminator-esque post-apocalyptic Power Rangers series that um, came out when the show was supposedly canceled, but it was not actually the last show of that series. There is Akiba Ranger, or Ikonin Sentai Akiba Ranger, which is a official, unofficial parody of Super Sentai about um, three people in Akibara who... Um, have to fight using the power of their own delusions and pain is power. There is Garo, the start of the newest franchise in Toku that has had longevity. It is darker. Um, it's like more aimed for adults, like more of like a dark fairy tale kind of like thing going on there. Like a little bit like more CG, a little bit more angst. Speaking of angst, there's Comrade Fies. Uh, this is a 2003 show that is very angsty, very dramatic. Um, it is one of those shows that um, looms very large in Common Rider and just um, like is like about um, what value people find in the lives of themselves and in, and in other people. There's Common Rider Deno, 
which is the 2007 Kamen Rider that focuses on um, time travel and people's memories and just what sadness, what memories, what happiness, how we cling to our traumas, um, what those things mean about what is real and what is not. It is the most popular show that has ever been in Kamen Rider. It got a movie last year uh, in 2020, (laughs) like in theaters movie. There is Heisei Godzilla, the only non-series on this list. Uh, that is seven movies that are all interesting, um, usually considered the best middle ground or the best as far as the Godzilla series go, where there's like multiple different like canons, basically. Um, it's in between detail and technology and just like real practical like push towards having everything out there and there's ultraman ginga uh this show is when ultraman was at its lowest point it uh is a shorter series that is the uh, slow kind of like buildup of ultraman back to prominence and towards being a show that can can um sustain itself and be profitable and yeah so those are our nine shows now steph i have to ask you what of these nine is your first pick for this next round and why? My first pick, I have to be honest, as much as I very much wanted to pick another common Rider show, obviously because it's going with our theme and everything that you've had me watch so far, I have just absolutely enjoyed the hell out of. But unfortunately, my first pick out of this bracket has to be Garo. I absolutely love the idea of having like this kind of challenging um different world to kind of come in and have people like facing the odds against i just from you know what you've described me it sounds very intense very much along the line of like even the video games i love to play so i thought that that would be a very cool concept so that's my first bit I've had to pick um, three things to get listeners excited about potentially like doing Garo. I'd say Dark Souls or like FromSoft games. I would say The Witcher and I would say um, probably Comrade or Hibiki, honestly, as far as like things that kind of most prepare you for what's going to happen in something like like Garo. I think that, um, and that's probably one of the reasons I chose it, was because when we originally were discussing this, I was kind of like writing myself these little short notes, as you know, at the side of what we were talking about. And one of the things for Garo that I wrote was like a dark Alice in Wonderland. And I don't know if that's something you described or if it's something I kind of like gleamed off the description, but I was just like... Okay, I'm 100% down for that. That just sounds like such a fun concept to play around with, especially in the Sentai universe, because it already has a lot of ways that you can kind of, like, play around with how battles are done and, like, how the um, dichotomy between good versus evil happens. So that just sounded like a very fun thing to play around with. I should note that um, we were going to look at Garo, but we had a like couple of weeks where we had to like, um, like swap things around. We like 
that was definitely a series that was part of my like oh steph should see this as one of the major franchises in like toku and like it's cool it's like a more modern one like starting in like 2005 versus like 1976 or whatever you know oh sweet yeah okay steph and with that i have to ask you what is your second choice and why um, my second choice, I definitely have to say, is the Akita Ranger. Um, just because the way that you've described it and the way it kind of plays off of the um, like Sentai tropes, I I definitely know enough to know that I'm not experienced in the Sentai universe. But just to have something that kind of takes what I have already kind of consumed and turn it on its head seems like a very fun concept and. Which is the same reason why our episode 69 Valentine's Day episode is still one of my favorite ones we've ever recorded. Because I like this idea of kind of making fun of something that you consume, even if it's something you enjoy very much. Because to me, that just adds to the fun. So, hmm. No, yeah, uh, it's just such a fun show. Um, it definitely, as a touchstone, I would say... It is still a like Sentai show. Like it's like it's still in like the like Super Sentai wheelhouse, but it's also like going out there like a little bit. It has a lot of shared DNA, I think, with Tokusatsu Gaga. Ga, Ga, uh oh, which I has love just that. been like just like it's like a lot of fun. Um it cares about this stuff. It's also a pretty short run, so like that would probably mean that like we're looking at both thirteen episodes with like seasons, you know, which is cool. Yeah, and I get that, and, and I don't know how many people that are listening to this would remember, but, but that uh, Takosatsu Gagaga was one of the first things that I listened to when Kip and I started hanging out together, so that definitely holds fond memories for me. So, you know, watching something else that kind of played around with a lot of similar themes would definitely be something I was completely on board with. I love that idea. Try to think if that or Kuga were the first thing. Maybe it was that. I think it was that, and then Kuga was afterward because I remember us having our um, guest on there, and our guest being the first one to pick up. Like you watched the whole season, and I was like, "No, yeah, totally watched the whole season. Couldn't stop myself." This puts me in a very tricky situation because here's the thing: I love Cobb Rider. I love all three of these Carbon Rider shows, though. <sighs> this is tough. Um, very, very tough. Um, I think there are compelling cases for all three of these. Absolutely. So maybe what I need to do is uh, say, um, I think of the three Carbon Rider shows, you definitely seem more excited for Kiva and Deno, so I wonder if maybe I should just drop or put in Fies, because it is a... Hmm. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Maybe we should roll a D20, put Common Rider series on a couple of the numbers and just see how it plays out. We did that. <laughs> oh, that was one of the first things that me and Copacetic Senpai did was there were 20 <laughs> Common Rider series. Because <laughs> like from 2000 to 2019. And that's how we like did like our fourth episode or something wild. I don't think I realize that. Oh my goodness. Look at me copying ideas. All right. I'm going to say Comrade Kiva is our third. Or we can look at the th- 
like three openings for these shows really quick and see how we feel and like cut that down to to one maybe two that sounds great just remember that uh between uh kuga and hibiki i've kind of been spoiled on my common riders and i kind of like the um weird funny guys so if that helps you narrow anything down, obviously I haven't watched a lot of the common Riders, So if that helps anything, just keep that in mind. Which opening do you want to look at first, Steph? Let's, uh, let's just start from the top. Let's look at Kiva. To make this easier to listen to and to avoid copyright complications, uh, each clip has been shortened. The full openings can be found on the Toei Tokusatsu channel at the Heisai Rider opening clip video. This is the only official version, and we will link it in the episode link. Intense. That was the opening for Kamara Kiva. And for this album, we are looking at the uh, Heisai Kamara opening clip. So it is the like official version. Because uh, that means it presumably won't get taken down. But so yeah, uh, that was for Kiva. Then uh, what show do you want to look at next? Kamara Deno was the year before. Kamara Fies was several years before. Yeah, let's just. Uh Go ahead and do them in order and go with Fies next. I, I don't know how much more surprise my heart can handle, so... Yes, this is the drama period of Covered Rider. It's very I needs. Yeah, 2003 and 2008 were years apart. <laughs> Which is weird because it seems very 90s, but yeah, I get it. So that series is like after Hibiki, the shows get a little more uh, focused, I'll say. Not a good or bad thing. Um, necessarily but this is definitely when this when the franchise was every year they're putting out something a little bit different i i feel like in general i would appreciate that but there's just something so big about the uh the intros that we just watched i'm like this is not what i expect from these shows which i realize is probably wrong but the ones that I have watched up to this point have just seemed much more calm, I guess. Then this last one might be a bit of a refresher for you because it's kind of splits the difference, I think, in being a little. It's definitely epic in a way. <laughs> so let's look at the opening for Comrade of Deno.
So that one's a little different. It is, but honestly, if I was going to watch another Common Rider, this would probably be the one that appealed to me the most out of the ones we just watched. Just because it, it kind of seems to have that um, feel of the ones that I've enjoyed to this point. Okay. Um, of these two, I guess, let's compromise. What two do you like? So we like Deno. And between Kiva and Fize, I guess, what are we thinking? Between Deno and uh, which one? Between Kiva and Fize, I guess. If we're going to say that like Deno is a lock, what do we think between Kiva and Fize is our pick for that? Um, I would have to go with Kiva, honestly. Um, both of them were a little, it sounds weird to say, but they were both just from the intros a bit overwhelming for me because they weren't as calm as the ones I've watched to this point. But that's not a bad thing. That's just me kind of doing a comparison. But yeah, I, I think that's the direction I'd go. Okay. So that is our semifinals. It is Comrider Kiva. It is Akiba Ranger. It is Garo. And it's Comrider Deno. This is a rough batch to be in next time we talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you um, have strong opinions on this, please help us out because Kip and I tend to be very similar minded when it comes to things we enjoy with these shows. So any advice you can give would definitely be appreciated and a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I will say just from my perspective, all of these are winners uh, as far as like shows go. Like these are all like not to say that like any of the other 18 would have been fun, but I think these are all shows that people want to watch. Um, and also one thing I like to do with copyright for me is talk about stuff like grownups that consume media and be like, Hey, here's what's going on in a way that maybe <laughs> fandom might've missed in 2005 or 2007, you know? Right. And I think that that probably is part of the issue with us is because we both um, are trying to be mature, but enjoy so much of it for so many different reasons. And I don't know. You come to a point where as an yeah, adult, you you're both. living in your own head. So it's a lot easier to have other people telling you, hey, we want to hear about this. Ooh, then maybe uh, on the next episode, we can see the openings for the other two because they're very good. Uh, but we should also talk about our main subject today, which is the Comrade Hibiki movie. Comrade Hibiki the movie. Comrade Hibiki and the Seven Sika. I've said that name a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've gotten way off topic here, and I feel like it's mostly my fault. So I'll go ahead and apologize now. But this movie was so much fun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like I told you, I have watched it like two or three times at this point. It, it just it kept clicking with me. I don't know why, but it was just a blast. Yeah. Um, it's especially exciting, too, because like. Comrade Hibiki was such a good show for us in both ways that are normal and abnormal for what we found in Toku. 
and then it went in a different direction that like just hasn't hit the same like even if we don't necessarily hate it so like this is that by virtue of this just being something else entirely it like gets to be refreshing and also have like almost no expectations at the same time and i think that that's probably part of the reason why i enjoyed it as much as i did because after we had kind of um already gone through that whole issue of you know the production company or whatever was changing so the kind of attitude of the story changed i was like well we're walking into this movie now i literally do not expect shit from it but it actually kind of turned out to be a very endearing movie that had a couple of really great like callbacks to the recurring characters within the Hibiki universe. So I was very pleasantly surprised because I had such low expectations of it and I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And it was surprisingly brilliant on a lot of fronts. Yeah. And I think um one great thing is how they're just doing Seven Samurai. Like they're just doing like, hey, we're part of a major production company and they have like a ton of sets and costumes. Let's just do that. <laughs> like that's just so much fun. Like let's just like for kids do like cinema basically. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I feel like maybe if I was as um familiar with Sentai as you are, I probably would have been able to like recognize a lot more like Easter eggs within the movie and like a lot more of the actors and stuff. But to me, totally, it was just like, okay, well, I recognize these people from Hibiki. And to me, that was pleasing enough. I was just like, oh, hell yeah, I've gotten everything I needed from this movie. And to kind of, uh, you know, as my notes point out, the fact that, you know, we're deep diving into this um, older universe before you know the events of our show the fact that there are you know so many characters that keep coming back into play and the fact that their personalities aren't exactly like they are in the show that just added a very cool element i thought yeah um movies for common rider can be very hit or miss too because a lot of them are like weird alternative endings or weird side stories that make no sense and like don't necessarily work on their own, but don't necessarily add anything. And there's like weird, is this important? Is it not? This kind of sidesteps that entirely. And it's just his own thing. Like I saw this back when I'd only seen a couple episodes of like Hibiki because I just like heard it was standalone. And um, it's definitely one of the better Kamen Rider movies, I think just because it is like, doesn't need you to have too much knowledge just like okay like you get what's going on the whole time like oh like they're doing seven samurai <laughs> like they're doing like what if feudal japan but common rider that's fun it's true but it, if you already have prior knowledge of the um relationship between asumo and hibiki it definitely adds something to it but one of the things that i was going to ask you and i noted this was um does anything from this movie um become canon in the series like the way that he kind of like transforms into this mega character or the way that he gets that sword that had his name on it like does any of that carry on into the series after the movie this is technically uh 
alternative telling of how he gets his armed form. Like there's even stuff where like his attacks are different and like how he transforms is different. So like, mm-hmm. this is like technically not Canon or separate universe technically, but it's basically treated as like the story that they found is Canon in that this stuff happened in the feudal era. And like, it shows like how far back, like the Ani were doing stuff. And this is like, because of the great courage of like a group of Ani, that's how like, Takeshi got formed, you know? But, like, that's most of it. Um, and then also, um, if you were to look at a list of the writers in Hibiki, there'd be, like, 29 of them because, like, of stage shows and, like, comics and, like, special action figure spinoff stuff. So, like, that's kind of where this comes in, too. Like, there's, like, so many Hibiki writers uh, that it's not even funny. Like, that don't actually show up. But, like, to answer the question, no, nothing really comes of this. Okay, well, good to know. This came out like uh, the episode between it's saying between uh, when Osmo built the doghouse and when Todoroki gave Hinaka that fist. Like, that's what this is said, I guess. There you go. Which makes sense because um, if you look at the movie and then you kind of look at the um, episode that we pointed on after that, Osimo kind of goes through this transition from being a little boy who was absolutely hypnotized by Hibiki to kind of being a um, like teen or preteen or whatever you want to um, face that as, but yeah, it definitely had a lot of um, issues that you kind of had to step back for a second and think about and, like, how the character interactions, like, happened within the world. I think definitely, like, we've reached a point where, like, I'm Mr. Fuck it, I don't care as far as, like, how candid stuff is, though. Because, like, it's like, oh, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't make sense with the time walk. It's fine. It's fun playing with these like parts, though, you know, like it told us a story that's maybe shared history, but I don't care if it like technically fits. But, like I do like. Like you said, just like seeing, oh, here is a like different Asmu, but it's still like being influenced, like even if you want to like justify it as like how like Asmu is reading this and projecting himself, you know? Yeah, exactly. And there's something very sweet, no matter um, what kind of dynamic you're looking at. But he always kind of has this major appreciation for Hibiki, no matter um, what is happening within his world. And I love the fact that even if they don't, like, continue on with anything else, they definitely continue on with this fact that Osmo is very much enamored with Hibiki and how he handles the world around him. And I just, I think that's such a great thing. Yeah. Um, and I do want to talk about how they build the team though, because they go through it. Um, and the biggest thing that I think comes from this movie is people still to this day, really like Kamen Rider, like Kabuki. Uh, who is definitely a clear kind of like standout, like as far as like the new designs and the characters and like whatever they're doing, like weird multiverse. Oh, like it, 
this Calvin Rider life showed up. Like he's like on the list of like the frequent flyers, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I definitely think that's one of the fun things because even if you're someone like me who hasn't seen a lot of the common writers, just to have this experience watching this movie of seeing a bunch of like these almost wild people come together and create this force that is completely willing to take on something that they don't know or care about for the sake of a village that they don't know or care about is just, it's such a great, um, like superhero concept to come up with. And I loved the fact that they were all willing to, in the end, I mean, obviously with a bunch of controversy come together and just say that, you know what? I don't care if these village full of people are jerks because they very much were, but we're going to make sure that the monsters don't get them. That's just such a fun thing to come together with. I just, I thought it was so cool. Yeah. um, A lot of the cast comes back in ways too, where it's like, oh, like we just see like Akira for two seconds before she gets eaten alive and things that kind of stuff. Um, and like, I definitely reached a point where I was like, I'm just going to say their names for the other thing because I don't actually think they've mentioned their name is like to be here or like what, you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of the point. Like, I mean, as people who are consuming the media, obviously we always want the happy ending and we always want all of these characters to come together, but realistically speaking yeah you're always going to have some people that are just like well i'm only doing this so i can get to the next point in my you know my fandom or my career or whatever so let's walk through these new combiners though because um we have old hibiki who's very much like the character that's very reluctant but clearly the main character and all this um he's looking pretty good though like there's like a scene of him blacksmith here i was like shit dude I did not know that you like had arms like that. Oh yeah, he he went full on daddy. Like I don't even know what to tell anybody, but you know, I bet he could get it. I'm just saying. Yeah, uh we meet past Hibuki um midway through, but he's a lord and like he doesn't care anymore. He's pretty close to himself, but just having fun. Um the past Todoroki kind of gets nothing to do. He's just there. Virtually the same. <laughs> um, there is Commander Kabuki, who is uh, the double agent. He is like going around and like grifting people by having a like friend who's a like Makumo, and he later makes a deal to get turned into one, which uh, is interesting. Because um, like this is the most the show like this show in the broader sense really gets into what being like an Ani is like the actual process of like it's their skin you know and like it's like their true face is what it's called when they transform like their face when they're like in their Ani form is like technically like their true face it's like okay there's something to this that like they don't go into too much but there's definitely just like with every common rider like a monstrous element you know I think that that's what made his character so interesting. And obviously I 
hesitate to say that because his character does, um, you know, in the end turn out to be someone that you don't really want to associate with. But the fact that he was able to play that so well and the fact that he was able to um, really embrace that Oni role without, you know, hurting anybody up until the point that he had to. That was just, it was so, for me, obviously, as someone who's near, or I'm sorry, as someone who is new to the series, to just be like, oh my god, I didn't even know they could do that. To look at that series and, you know, really see someone who betrayed their values was just fucking incredible. Like, I loved the fact that it threw me through a loop. Like, you don't see that in these shows. It's something like I harp on a lot that like only comes up once or twice in like the canon, but like is like the concept of like the cross of fire. Like the Cup Rider uses the same powers as like the monsters they're fighting. They're inherently kind of like touched and away from the world. Um and I think um it's so interesting that he's basically saying being an Ani is to have the ability to do things either way. Being a Makomo means you don't have the ability to live in both worlds. You just have to be a monster. Like you just have to be reviled. You just have to feel this way. And you don't have that doubt is basically what he's saying. Like we see him like after his turn, like responding weirdly to Asamu and being like, ah, like being upset. And we see him like when he's like fighting like Hibiki too. And like, I think very much like, it's like, okay, to be a rider, to be like an Ani, to be like an ogre. That means that like, the way that like horn stuff and like gets like shown like other Japanese like media for like people too is like this. Okay. You have this ability to harm. You maybe have this inherent inhumanist to you, but you're still human versus he say, I want to give that up because it's too painful, which is very cool. Like it's a very, good way to go of it. I wish we got that like a little bit more in the series, which we might be on the cusp of that for all I know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that the biggest dividing factor in this entire series is Asimo. And it's just because he seems to like innately have that ability to make people, whether they're bad or good, make people want to be better for him and it's just it's a very powerful but also um fun dynamic to have him thrown in there and kind of be that one person that everybody's just like i want to take care of you whether it's a good thing or not yeah and like it's like a very like okay we need the pure humanity here. We need the unrelenting kindness here. Exactly. Yeah. And like, it like works here, like very well. Um, the next person they get is Toki. And before we get to him, I do want to say, um, Hinaka and Kasumi, who I think have slightly different names, but they're never said. So it's fine. Uh, 
<laughs> they're them. Um, but th- they are part of the group with Asumu and like um, Kabuki, like trying to gather like the Ani. I do appreciate the fact that they seem to always be about Asumu. Like no matter what happens, they um, they try to make his life easier whether it be through um, really um, trying to put him into the world or not, but they're trying to, like, make sure he's a part of it, but still protect him in some kind of weird way. It's just a very strange dynamic they have. Yeah. Especially when you consider that, like, the idea that we have of, like, teens didn't really exist like it's kind of like a much more complicated thing it's like who's an adult and who's not and it like does like raise questions when it's like well no um the akira character and the mochi character have to take on this massive responsibility and he's like trying to act like an adult and help but also he's like the child it's like a weird spot to be in definitely yeah exactly but honestly they played that very well like in the sense that he is trying his very best to be someone who kind of like saves his love and does everything that he knows how to do but on the other hand he isn't quite sure like the right steps to take and kind of like how to bring these superheroes together it's a very I think well written dynamic the way that they all play against each other. I liked the next writer that we got, who was played by Zanki from the series, but he's come writer Toki. He's a blind monk that has powers of telekinesis. He is absolutely my favorite one of the series. Like I have a fully underlined note about him. Just I love everything about his character and the way that he keeps talking about how the um, bad guys are going to Buddha and he is going to just keep being himself no matter what happens in the world. Yeah, and um, also when he transforms, he's dummy thick. Like, he's just, like, super, like, beefy and, like, the slapping of his ass cheek, like, kills the Ani's. Like, he's just, like, transforms like damn dude like you got fucking thick there like you just oh, yeah. get so he's dummy bigger. sick he could be in a cardi b video like he dude's got it going on oh uh, like um just has like the um like three mark like drum symbol on like one ass cheek just like just go for it yeah but damn Can't it's like oh, you got big I, I would do the same just be honest <laughs> who's our next writer uh oh um the next writer is Kamrider Kirameki, who just shows up on a kite, flies in there, and is like, hey guys, what's up? After, the, after they lose their first battle. He was so chaotic. And I loved that about him. He was just all about making things happen the way that he wanted them to happen, and ready and willing to just be that uh, rogue just you never know what he's gonna do or how it's gonna happen and he was so much fun 
loved him to pieces. And then there is Comrade Dushiki, who was a thief who was about to be executed when they found him. And he bit off the sword. Oh my goodness. I, I love that. He's tiger themed. He does tiger stuff. And he also, his instrument is a triangle. And he's a thief. Like, the, all good things. Not only that, but if I remember correctly, wasn't his um, whole thing was hitting his triangle just welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Love, love that. And like, in the ending scene, he's just in prison again, but like, happy about it, I guess. Yeah, that seems about right, honestly. Uh, and our last writer is Kamrider Habataki, who is a farmer. Uh, I remember him having a much bigger plot line when I thought it was maybe last time, but his whole thing is that he's like, I'm retired. And then his wife's Midori, he says, no, you're not. Go help. I, my favorite line that he said was um, when they were doing the big final battle. And he says, um, oh, what was it? I wrote it down. Um, okay, I have to do this because I won't be able to face my wife otherwise. And I was just like, dude, been there. Get, yes, absolutely 100%. There's the power of the wife guy. Exactly. Yeah. There is one other character who, like, besides, like, the parents and the Orochi, like, the big, like, narrative thing is, like, in the modern day, there's an Orochi, which is just, like, weird dragon Makamo. And then there was one in the past, too, and they're trying to, like, find how they beat it. There's also this um, random Makamo they find um, who is a teen girl. Um, Their name is Hinosumi, um, according to the wiki. But um, when she showed up, I was like, they're showing her feet. She's got to be evil. Like, I was just like, I know cinema. If you see somebody's mm-hmm. feet or like they got like a costume on. <laughs> OK. You're probably evil because you're playing with a ball and you got nail polish on. It's 500 years ago. How would you get nail polish 500 years ago if you aren't evil? Checkmate, liberals. <laughs> <laughs> Own the libs. <laughs> But um, she's just very strong and shows up to get hit by everybody's <laughs> finishers at the end. <laughs> it really does nothing, but it's great. My favorite thing about her, honestly, is um, there were a couple of points like within the series where they, um, the camera work focused in on her. And it was always like this very weird like she was always doing this high pitch singing and she was just so fucking cute and this that and the other um and that was kind of the point where I realized she was an issue because I was like okay nobody is that cute unintentionally there is something happening here <laughs> yeah I just like too cute yeah be evil yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden she like shows her other face and it's a an evil like vampire whatever. And I was just like, yep, that fits. That's exactly what I was expecting from this interaction. So So I like clicked on the actor thing and then like googled the actress um Hasami Abe, who was just like a singer actress 
and like and like all the pictures I'm seeing, like a quarter of them are her like brushing her teeth, and I don't know what's going on. If I'm being completely honest, let's not delve too much into that. Yeah, but um, keep your teeth clean. Um, and you can be evil too. That's exactly. what I learned today. But no, uh, so that is my uh, teeth update of the week. But um, what do you think of the story though with the brother of Asumu being Takeshi? Later on, we find out like the titular like Takeshi, like that, like the organization's like name from, and like how like he died, and like that whole like why our two main characters are like feeling their whole way like from this death, you know, like they're like withdrawn. I will have to be honest and say is that I do appreciate the fact that they finally gave Osamu some kind of motivation for his character and um they very much put it into perspective with this movie like this is what happened this is why he feels the way he does this is why he is so obsessed with Habiki um but you know if you put it into a a very singular thought process, doesn't exactly add up because he doesn't have that leg in real time. Um, so I appreciated that the writers tried to give that some context, but it doesn't really shake out, honestly. So, um, I mean, in several senses especially with this movie it was a good thing but if you're looking at it from like a timeline perspective it's just like well Osmo still has a lot of reasons to hate so no uh there's definitely like this um this character has to like do something different here compared to the show where he's meant to be this perfect unmotivated being this like little marshmallow and here he has to like do stuff um I liked it it made sense like it was just like it it it's like a 90 minute movie trying to to tell like all the backstory of this like series that clearly has like some very intricate backstory. Um mm-hmm. so it worked there. Um what fight scene was your favorite? Cuz for me it was probably the fight scene with Kabuki and like the like specifically the part with the umbrella and the sword. <laughs> I did love that one. I and I actually made a note about it, but honestly, my favorite one was I hate to say this and be this basic, but my favorite one was the last one and the um finding out that the undersea temple goddess was the BBEG of the entire thing and just making so many awesome moves like you know, picking Hibiki up and throwing him right in the like, I haven't seen that from a monster before. So that was very, very entertaining. And just having this whole issue where he legitimately had to, like, make a battle plan to be able to handle this. I thought it was very cool. Like, that's not something you see in these type of shows or with these type of monsters before. So I... I thought it was very neat to kind of see how they were going to battle plan that. And I like how the answer was just 
oh, let's show all these instruments how they would attack. Like part of the fun of this like whole movie is like, let's show flutes and let's show triangles, let's show gongs, let's just like have some more fun with the like design that maybe looks cool in like a TV show or makes like practical sense there. Yeah, exactly. They went like full chorus on it. And excuse me, as someone who's a music fan, that was not only hilarious, but I was just like, oh man, look at him go. Like, I went full superhero mode with this. It was amazing. And I do also like, as I mentioned, the fight scene in the very beginning in the present time is fun just to see Hibiki clearly lose. Like, I also, like, didn't know, like, that, like, the Stardust movie had, like, a whole Jaws scene. I was like, oh, like, I completely forgot, like, the people at the beach getting picked off and eaten and all that stuff. My very first note is cue the Jaws scene. So, yeah, I'm with you. This is up there for Comrade movies, honestly. Um, it technically isn't canon, but it's fine. It's fine. Just focus on, fine. on the backstory stuff, you know? Um, it's fine. Especially for Comrade Tokyo with that big-ass backstory. Just fucking dummy-thick, like, dump truck backstory. Oh, yeah. On that man. But, uh, speaking of dummy-thick dump trucks... Uh, we should probably wrap up. So, Steph, where can people find you when you're uh, not talking about a uh, common writer? Oh, man. Uh, that's actually kind of hard to do because I'm all about talking about common writer these days. But, um, if you need to find me somewhere else, um, you can find me on the Arcade Militia website, which is www.arcademilitia.com um, You can find me on Instagram under nobody much because that's exactly what's going to happen if you post something I'll like it and it'll say nobody much liked your post um, Ah, I see <laughs> And if you're on Twitter I'm under um, hat under sis, which says uh, nice hat sis if I like something so you know I try very to um, make my social medias match my completely inane sense of humor so there you go there you go uh, you can find uh, the podcast at comradesme.com comradesme.com um, slash episodes for a link to the various different platforms you need to get the direct link to play FM or some like bullshit there. It's there. Uh, if you want to go to comrade.com slash merch, there's our merch. All proceeds going to the Trevor project. Uh, there is a podcast at comrade.com is our uh, email. We take suggestions, thoughts there. Uh, we are still looking for suggestions for actually um, if me and Copacetic don't end up doing the currently airing like Common Rider due to the blackface issue. Um, we're not sure. Maybe we'll watch that show and be able to take it on. Maybe not. But uh, for us, actually, me and Steph on this book club podcast, we have narrowed down our list to Common Rider Kiva, Ikona Sentai, Akiba Ranger, Garo, and Common Rider Deno. Those four series are our short list. And next time here from us on friday you are going to get to to help us narrow that down to two 
So from four to two, and on the very last episode, two weeks from then, we will narrow that down to one. Yeah, and definitely anything you can do to help us would very much be appreciated because we are very indecisive peoples. So, Also, we like too many things. Exactly, yes. You know what? Um, love yourself. And that could be just getting a nice apple and having a big ball. That can be getting some uh, lotions. And, you know, that can be buying a pint of peppermint ice cream in the middle of summer. Whatever you need. And I would say, I mean, if you really want to treat yourself, get into a nice hot bath. Listen to our episode 69, where we are super sensual, and just treat yourself. That could mean anything. But what that means for us is, Steph, who are your MVPs this episode? Oh, man, that's such a hard one. Um, Okay, I'm going to say that my favorite uh, writer from this episode, I got very, very, very excited to see to dorky on this episode again um or toto as i say to him in my head canon um and my favorite monster was our uh, bbeg at the end who was able to just pick up a rider and put him down wherever he decided um so yeah those are my favorites i would say my mvp has to be kabuki a uh, very strong character, like probably the legacy of this film. Monster, oh, yeah. same. Um, just kind of no context <laughs> for like where she's coming from. It just is there like in movies, but hey, uh, is cool. It's dangerous. It's all you need sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, make sure that you love yourself and make sure that uh, you let us know if there's anything that we could do on this show that would make you love, not yourself more, love listening. Make you love yourself harder. Because that's what we're all about. Love you harder. Because you deserve it. When you're here, you're harder. Exactly. <laughs>